When life is difficult, Samaritans are here. Day or night, 365 days a year. You can call them for free on 116 123. Email them at joe at or visit Whatever you're facing, the Samaritans are here to listen. Welcome to the Beer Podcast. My name's Nick Mins. Uh, on tonight's podcast, I'm lucky to be joined by Heldener, who's come to uh, talk a little bit about um, his experience uh, with uh, the Samaritans and also what kind of got him into volunteering as well. So Heldener, thanks so much for coming on today. Very appreciate taking your time out to come and speak to us. Thank you for, for having me, Nick. I'm really excited. Yeah, so... As always, we'll uh, we'll basically so just um, if you want to kind of tell us a little bit about yourself and you know your your mental health journey, really. Yeah, sure thing. Um, so I'm thirty. Uh, I when I'm not a volunteer Samaritan, I'm a, a designer at a digital bank. Um, my mental health journey, I think. I've had, uh, when I was a child, I've had bouts of depression where I felt I had to sort of reevaluate parts of my life. Um, and it felt like they happened sort of quite young, but um, even though I knew it was a mental health thing at the time, the only moment where I really started to uh, actively sort of work on my mental health was when um, my girlfriend had broken up with me. This was roughly five years ago now. Um, and I was living with her, my mum, uh, her sister, and we, we also had a dog at the time. And after the breakup, it meant that I was uh, living on my own. And the, um, you know, we were sort of, we sort of parted ways. Uh, my mum went to live with friends, uh, my girlfriend, uh, or ex-girlfriend at the time went to live with her sister um, and I was laying on my bed in my room looking at the ceiling and for a moment I thought to myself if something happens to me and for whatever reason I pass away it will take them weeks to find me and I felt deeply lonely and I felt uh, for a moment I started to wonder what the value of my life was um, and in that space I started to Google for ways in which I, I might be able to get some emotional support. Um, I came across the number for Samaritans. I gave them a call and the conversation was unlike anything I'd ha- ever experienced before. Um, the Samaritan picked up the phone and said, hello Samaritans, how are you feeling today? And I sort of very awkwardly started to uh, talk about how I was feeling. And because I'm someone who likes to be accommodating towards others, I was asking the Samaritan, how, how are you feeling today? Um, and they, they would reply with, uh, it's important that we keep the focus on you today. Um, and they, they really weren't uh, in any way making it about them. And they kept put, putting the mirror back towards me. Um, and through all of the questions that they asked, 
they helped me understand better how I was feeling. And I said to this Samaritan that what happened was um, I am a generally very goal-oriented person. And because I felt like I failed to be with someone I wanted to be for the rest of my life, if I could fail in that goal, um, what, what would mean that I could achieve any other goal that I set for myself? And the Samaritan heard everything and uh, they asked a really, a really pointed question that from that moment onwards, it really helped me to make sense of the situation. He said, do you think that you're being fair on yourself by setting goals that are dependent on the choices and actions of other people? Um, and that completely changed my mind because it helped me reevaluate how I set goals and it helped me uh, respect that someone else can make a choice that does not affect my self-worth. Um, I can still have value and I, I can still have meaning in life despite there not being someone I, I hoped would have been there to help me feel that way. Um, eventually, eight months later, roughly, I think I decided to sign up to be a volunteer. I um, have been a volunteer for five years now. And very recently, about five months ago, I became the director of my local branch of Samaritans. Wow. So, so the, you know, the it's made a real a real difference to to you as a as an individual and obviously I suppose when you when you reach out for that support and I suppose when you you know the first thing to hear is you know how you know how are you I mean that that probably would be my automatic response would be to ask the other person I'm you know how are you today do you know sometimes that's maybe a bit of a deflection technique to kind of put it back towards someone else to you know so you kind of feel like they're getting it I mean, one of the things that you talked about there was, you know, this, um, like you felt like, like you'd failed. Um, and, you know, these, this kind of goal orientated, um, I suppose, because you're driven and you set goals, do you kind of feel sometimes that like you set goals which are unachievable or are a little bit too much out there? Or, you know, what was it that kind of fueled that failure? You know, obviously you said that you feel like you failed you know, with someone who you wanted to be with for the rest of your life. But, you know, was is it a kind of a reoccurring theme that you have throughout your life where it's them setting, like, goal setting, really? Um, I think I would, gen yeah, generally des describe myself as quite an ambitious person. Um, I, I can find myself in conversations where I'm talking about some of my goals, um, and some people may think some of them are unrealistic. Um, an example being, I would love to one day summit Mount Everest. <laughs> um, that that often comes across as unrealistic. Um, but I think for me, uh, being ambitious is about striving to lead the better or best version of your life. I think I feel really fortunate to be alive. I feel that there's so much that the world has to offer. And I want to live to the fullest and take risks and um, be bold and learn from my experiences. So I think what that specific moment taught me is that part of being bold and, you know, I'm someone who's generally very vulnerable and very open about my feelings. So when that happens, when you're very vulnerable with someone and very open and then someone rejects you, it makes you feel that, you know, you, you personally aren't good enough. So I think the goal setting part is in that specific moment, more so the human factor to it 
um, I, I grew up without a father, even though my mom did a really amazing job. Um, I think there's, there's something at the back of your head as a child that always wonders, why is it that that parent chose to not stay around? And you, you may think to yourself, or oh, perhaps it might be because I'm not worthy of them, them staying around. So I think, I think there is a layer of that too that played a role in how I was feeling about failing on that specific goal. But generally speaking, I would say, even if I set ambitious goals in other areas of my life, when I do fail, I'm quite good at adjusting and recalibrating and trying again. Um, I overall in my life, I generally speaking, I perceive failure as an opportunity to to learn something new and to to give it a shot from a different angle, not necessarily always to give up, sometimes to give up because sometimes you realize it's not the right thing for you, um, but generally to to just try in a different way. So obviously going back through what you were saying with regards to, obviously you called the Samaritans, you kind of talked to them. What was it that made you want to kind of, if you like, join the Samaritans and give back? Yeah, um, I, I think I had it from two, I looked at it from two angles. The first angle, um, I come from uh, an African family and my family specifically are not, notoriously not great at uh, being open about their feelings. Um, and I grew up in that environment where my mom would often find herself in a space where she would feel overwhelmed. And in the moments where she would feel overwhelmed is when we would find out how she's been feeling. Um, and sometimes they, they would happen in outbursts where generally all other moments, she's, she's a really wonderful sweet and very giving human but what ended up happening is that she would be too giving beyond what feels like was a fair level of giving for her and then when she didn't feel like how giving she was was sort of people showed gratitude towards that um, she ended up feeling like she was sort of being treated somewhat unfairly um, and since I was a child I think generally speaking I'll describe myself as um, emotionally perceptive I can pick up people's feelings quite easily I think my mom's the same um, I picked up a lot of these things and um, I picked up how it affected my grandma and my auntie which were the other people that we lived in the home with and I really wanted to figure out ways in which I can be a more emotionally supportive person to the people in my family the ways in which I can get people to talk about their feelings more without making it my uh, role to solve those problems um, and I thought what the Samaritans did in the conversation, he didn't offer me any advice. He didn't self-disclose. He didn't say, well, when I had that thing that you're experiencing, I did this. Um, and yet somehow I was able to get through to what looked like a solution for me, even though he never gave any advice. So I thought whatever that technique or those techniques that he used in that call, I want to learn how to do that. Um, and I want to learn how to do that because not only will it better my interactions with the people in my family, but hopefully it's a skill set that I can use to, um, and this, this may sound, again, overly ambitious, to make the world a better place. Um, but those are the two sort of layers that I, I was focused on. I mean, um, so, so what, what do you think is, I suppose, most important part of, of, of the, if you like the power of listening and and what does it take to be a, a, a good listener as well 
Yeah, great question. Um, I talk about this often um, when I'm sort of bragging about how amazing Samaritan is. Um, but I think the term active listening is very appropriately named because the active bit is super, super important. I think often we feel um, we can interpret hearing as listening, um, that we're picking up the things that people are saying. We might not be speaking, but what's happening in our brain sometimes when we're hearing what people are saying is that we're getting ready to say what we want to say. Um, and sometimes you've already decided what you're going to say before the person's even finished their sentence. But what active listening uh, has meant, in my experience as a volunteer so far, is that you're really present and you're really listening to uh, as much as you possibly can about what the person is saying. And when the person finishes speaking, there are things that you can do to really acknowledge that you've heard what they've said um, through asking more questions to explore a subject in a bit more detail, through using their own words uh, when you're describing how they're feeling. So if someone says, um, I felt really uh, frustrated when so-and-so thing happened, instead of saying, um, you know, it seems like uh, you were really revolted, you could say, it seems like from what you described to me that you were really frustrated. So um, you're using their words, you're picking up on their feelings, you're observing their facial expressions, their body language. Um, and for the most part, as much as you can, though this is much harder in uh, personal relationships, giving space for someone to feel like their perspective and their reality is true and it matters. And recognizing that you don't have to immediately find a solution. Um, I think when we care and we love people, we want to be as helpful as we possibly can. And sometimes we think that that means telling them what they should do. Um, but what I've learned at Samaritans is very often sometimes uh, we just want to be heard for a bit. Uh, and we want to feel that what we have to share is important for someone else to want to listen. Do you feel like that was one of the big things, obviously, when you initially called that, you you maybe just felt like you wanted to be listened to and and once someone i suppose listened to 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 what you you know what you were saying and they were, they were listening to that, what, those words and like you say not kind of giving the advice but allowing you to i suppose look at it from from it within yourself i mean do, do you think that was something that maybe kind of spared you on to want to want to help as well um yeah, I, I think the, I used to think I was a, a good listener. Um, my time at Samaritan has taught me that I'm not sure your, your ability to become better at listening is ever, is ever done or finished. Um, I think I, I still have moments where I feel like my, I have interactions with people where I'm, I'm, I realize that I'm defaulting to old ways and I have to sort of bring myself back to, to the active listening. Um, especially when you may be finding yourself having conversations about subjects that are really emotionally important to you. Um, and especially if you might be in conversation with someone who themselves doesn't necessarily have that practice of active listening. Um, so 
one of the things I've also learned is that because you've been on a certain journey with your listening skills and your relationship with um, conversation and specifically emotionally charged conversations, does not mean that the other, the other person has. And it requires a lot of patience and it requires um, a level of empathy that is also about recognizing that you can play a small role in helping a person get closer to a world in which they become better listeners. And you can show patience, kindness, um, and give them the, the space to see what feeling heard can feel like as well. And, and that can make a huge difference. I'm not sure that answers your question, Nick. It, it, it was, it got there. <laughs> it really did. Um, so, I mean, I'll, I'll ask this question, but you probably already kind of answered it within the last one, really. So, you know, like, do you have any tips about how, you know, if anybody's listening to and think, you know, I maybe wish I could be a bit of a better active listener or a better listener altogether, you know, so I can listen to my friends or my family, you know, any tips about how to be a better listener? Yeah. Um, as Samaritans, we have a really wonderful uh, framework, I would, I would say. Uh, we, we call that framework the listening wheel. Um, and it's divided in um, a few parts, but at the very center, you have silence. Um, and I remember when I, when I was training as a, as a Samaritan, the idea that silence is an, act, an actual part of your toolkit, uh, I found very confusing. Um, and the more I learned through training and the more I learned through practice, the more I feel that silence is one of the most powerful things that you have uh, to, to help you become a better listener. Um, and to me, I, I believe the journey starts in changing your relationship with silence. Um, I think often when people experience silence between themselves and someone else, um, the term awkward can, can fly around. Uh, whereas actually silence, in my experience so far, gives room for people to speak at their own time and at their own pace. And it makes it less likely that whoever might be more talkative, whoever might be more um, extroverted, ends up dominating a conversation. So the silence at the, at, at the core of the listening wheel is also something that we actively apply on a, on a call at Samaritans. And when you're being trained, uh, your, whoever's training you will say, uh, in, you know, and in these moments, you can, you can use silence. Um, if someone is pausing after saying something that's very difficult uh, emotionally, they might find themselves uh, needing a little bit of a breather before they actually uh, carry on. So what the silence means is that you're letting them know they have time uh, and that you're, you're there to listen. Um, and there are a range of other uh, points in that listening wheel that I, I think people can use to also become better listeners. Uh, there's sort of clarifying, uh, better understanding what someone said so that you don't interpret it in your own ways and you have a clear sort of detailed uh, view of what the person described from their perspective. Um, there's reflecting, which you play back to the person uh, what they said to you 
and there's uh, summarizing. So going through um, and understanding like all in the Samaritan's call, you do that uh, by going through most of the things that have been discussed throughout the call. How I found that as a volunteer Samaritans, I use, I use summarizing a lot um, is that if you find yourself in a call where someone might be repeating themselves quite a bit, uh, my mom can do this sometimes too. She can repeat herself quite a bit. Um, and it comes from not being entirely sure that someone was listening to you. Uh, at least that's how I interpret it from my mom. I'm, I'm not an expert. Um, but summarizing what I found during a call is sometimes it can take people aback as to how much you've been listening and as to the level of detail that you've been listening. Um, and there are a range of other techniques that are part of that listening wheel. I won't list them all, but I find these, these small things are good places to get started. But if there was one thing someone would do is to become more comfortable with silence. That's brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. Um, I mean, one one of the questions that just kind of flew into my mind was if if someone's listening to, to the podcast now um, and they're kind of thinking to themselves, you know, I want I want to speak to someone, and but I'm a I'm you know they're a, they're a little bit afraid of of talking or opening up. I mean, what would be our advice to someone to kind of reach out, really? from someone who's done that from a, from a personal point of view as well. Yeah. Um, I think I remember how I was feeling when I decided to make the call for the first time. And the biggest thing that held me back from potentially making the call was a sense that making a call perhaps might be an admission of weakness um and an admission of not being as strong as i would have liked to be uh i think i grew up with the narrative that people who go through tough times and just crack on are strong people um and i think my my adult life uh post samaritans actually has been a great deal of re rewiring that and um almost turning it on its head in some ways and thinking that people who go through tough times and talk about those tough times and allow themselves to be emotionally vulnerable, allow themselves to heal. Those are the really strong ones um, because that is the harder thing to do. Whereas I think that when you, when you're going through what you're going through and you think that you shouldn't be going through what you're going through because you, you think you might be weak. Um, that narrative can, get in the way of you really leaning into what is your real strength and your ability to take good care of yourself, which will mean that you will be a better human to others in your life. You may be a better colleague to work with. Um, and I think we all want to lead the best quality of life that, that we can. So making that first call can be quite daunting. Um, but it will be a first step in what I hope is a, is a wonderful journey in getting to know yourself better. That's brilliant. Um, so coming to the end of the podcast and I always ask the same, same question. Every, every guest I ever have on always ask the same question. So if there's one, one little nugget of advice 
that you could give to anybody, if you like your kind of golden nugget of advice, what would that be? Um, this is probably where I have started to see the most value come in my life with this specific philosophy. And I'm still learning how to effectively continue to apply it in many other parts of my life. But I would, I would summarize it as in a world where everyone tells you, you need to be tough and you need to uh, show no weakness at various times. I think vulnerability is your biggest power. Um, understanding how to show that you're human at work, especially uh, as, as someone that now uh, is leading teams at Samaritans, um, I found that being very clear when I don't have the answer has been really impactful in helping my team understand that we're going to have to figure something out together. Being really clear when I might be struggling a little bit because I've got a bunch of other things that I'm juggling in life at the same time means that someone else in my team can step in and help out. And you build a sense of community. You build a sense of uh, trust. People trust that what you say is true because you don't hide the tough things. And I still believe that I'm nowhere near the finish line on really embracing being vulnerable. I still think I have many other parts of my life that I'm learning to be more and more vulnerable. I think, for example, the workplace is a really tough place to do that because you're worried that you might be perceived as low performing or you might be perceived as uh, not being able to have what it takes to, to complete a role. Uh, but actually, the reality is every single one of us will feel these things at some point. It's just that we've been taught to not talk about them and to, uh, to just crack on. But I think vulnerability is your biggest strength. Brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. Heldon here, thanks so much for taking time out your day to come on and talk and share your experiences and, you know, keep doing what you're doing. Absolutely amazing. It's, uh, speaking to people like yourself, just, it, it's inspiring. It really is. So thank you so much for taking time today. Really appreciate it. Thank you, Nick. No problem. And for everyone else, I'll see you on the next podcast.